Welcome to Artful Aging with your host, Amy. Are you a senior or a caregiver of a senior looking for support and direction? Best-selling author, educator, and expert in senior living, Amy Friesen is here with the help you need while providing you with an important and valuable support network. So now, please welcome the host of Artful Aging, Amy Friesen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Amy Friesen, and this is Artful Aging with Amy. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are live from Bold Brave TV, and today's show is all about Parkinson's and boxing, which is which is really exciting for me because I'm learning a little bit more about it myself, actually. So Parkinson's disease is the second most common neurodegenerative disorder after Alzheimer's uh, disease. The Parkinson's disease affects one in every 500 people in Canada. Over 100,000 Canadians are living with Parkinson's today and approximately 6,600 new cases of Parkinson's are diagnosed each year in Canada. I know that with our crowd, as you know, um, I run a company called Tea and Toast and I know that we are actually seeing a lot of folks with Parkinson's who are looking to plan a little bit earlier and, and how to be proactive, which as if you've been watching our Aging, that's all, what we're all about is planning and being proactive. So I'm hoping that today's show um, will help help you do that if you are a loved one of someone who has Parkinson's or you have Parkinson's yourself. So my guest today is Christine Seabee, founder of Boxing for Health. Christine has been a registered massage therapist for over 16 years and has a passion for mixed martial arts. Boxing for Health was founded in 2016 with a hope to help as many people as possible who have Parkinson's disease achieve a better quality of life. Welcome, Christine. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I think maybe we should start out. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and why you started Boxing for Health? Uh, absolutely. So I've been in the health and fitness uh, and nutrition field for about 17 years now. So health and fitness has always been a, a big passion of mine. And I was working uh, as a therapist in a neurological clinic. And I started working one on one with clients uh, who had Parkinson's disease. And they were just they were lacking motivation. They were lacking hope was the big one. Um, they were having lots of issues with their gait and their balance. And they were just they were they, they just um, felt really defeated and uh, I just wanted to help and it was uh, pretty much as simple as that. So I started putting a program together. I had a experience and a past of doing boxing. So I saw a program in the States that was doing boxing with people with Parkinson's. Um, and so I just took a spin on that and just made a really strong program with my experience in both boxing, but also um, therapeutic work and therapeutic touch. And I just incorporated it all into a program. Started working one-on-one -on -one with clients and they just lit up, um, especially hitting the pads, like these seven-year-old women um, putting on boxing gloves. Uh, they just lit up when they, when they started the boxing portion. So I knew I had something and I started teaching classes out of my gym, hung up some bags, um, went into the garage and started teaching classes from there. And it just quickly developed. Uh, and now I'm in a nice uh, big gym and we have got three locations in Ottawa now. I think that's fantastic. And you're the only one that I've ever heard doing this as well, right? So it's still relatively an unknown uh, workout and um, life transition for folks with Parkinson's, I would say. Um, it's still up and coming, I would think. 
For those who are unfamiliar, could you describe a little bit more about what Parkinson's disease is? Absolutely. So you mentioned it was a neurodegenerative disease. Um, and it, it's essentially it's a movement disorder um, that is caused by um, brain cells uh, called dopamine that have either um, that essentially have died off in the brain. And so that can cause things. Um, some of the, the common symptoms are tremors. Um, not everyone has tremors, but it's a pretty characteristic sign of Parkinson's. Uh, stiffness, rigidity, um, postural imbalances and balance issues. Those are kind of the, the, um, the big symptoms, but there's both physical, um, motor and non-motor symptoms that are associated to the disease. I find um, that when I'm working with seniors and their families, I don't know if you happen to know extra information about this, but um, I actually work, we actually work with a lot of people who have both Parkinson's and Parkinson's dementia at the same time. And I find, you know, I, we're trying to help them, you know, accomplish what they would like to do in their um, senior living goals. Uh, but I just find that it must be so frustrating for folks that have Parkinson's to also then have Parkinson's dementia. Have you come across this as well? We've definitely come across it and it's extremely unfortunate, tears at the heartstrings when you hear that they've got both. Um, I am noticing it more, especially in the last two years, whether uh, it's COVID related or not, I just, more people are surfacing with Parkinson's. I think maybe they've been waiting to get that diagnosis because it does take um, quite a long time to get a Parkinson's diagnosis. And if you also have um, like a Lewy body dementia or Alzheimer's, even we have a couple of clients that have Alzheimer's uh, on top of having Parkinson's or even Parkinsonisms, um, it can be really challenging and it makes the care plan uh, that more uh, complicated. However, there's still lots we can do, especially the earlier onset. Yeah, so, you know, especially, you know, if you're trying to plan ahead of time, right? And we'll talk more a little bit about that in a little bit. But um, I would hope, you know, with people that are, are dealing with even both, that they'll have a listen today or their caregivers will have a listen today because I'm sure there's something they'd be doing to help progress. I know it must be challenging. You said that you noticed a little bit more of a cognition piece in the last couple of years. Generally speaking, with COVID as well, my, my team and I have also noticed a huge spike in um, cognition issues, um, and and both just on their own and with Parkinson's. So it's been very challenging and interesting what you said too about it taking a while for a Parkinson's diagnosis. Is that because people can't recognize it as fast, or they have to look for certain pieces to know, or do you think maybe it's because people don't recognize it in themselves enough to go and get help? Have you come across? That? I think I think there's there's a couple of different um, there's a couple of different reasons, but the the biggest one is sometimes finding a neurologist. Like I work with clients throughout Canada and the United States right now, and some of them have are waiting two years to get into a neurologist. So if you're living in a rural area or an area that doesn't have a neurologist, typically that wait time is going to be that much more. Um, so waiting two years to get a diagnosis is super challenging. So I'm doing my best to try and reach out to people like that because the faster they can get started in an exercise program, um, the better off they will be, but also can help them determine whether it's helping their symptoms or not, which can also help see if, if they actually truly do have 
Parkinson's kind of in the interim, um, being proactive about it. But it's definitely the wait time is a big factor. Um, I think if people don't have a spouse that notices some of these signs and symptoms, and also, um, yeah, I, I think family members really are the big ones that point out certain things. So when they see someone have an issue with their balance or their walking gait, sometimes it's not something we can notice in ourselves. It, yeah, that, and it's pretty wild. It takes so long. And you're right. You know, even any changes that happen for anybody, uh, if you haven't seen someone in a while or you're the one that's caring for that person, the other person might notice it before you do or before you're willing to acknowledge that you notice it. Right. So. Yeah. Um, very interesting for sure. Um, let's take a break now, Christine. And after the break, we're going to continue this conversation. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy here on Bold Brave TV. We'll see you in a few minutes. Hi again. Welcome back to Artful Aging with Amy. We're speaking with Christine today from Boxing for Health. Um, Christine, maybe uh, we could also go back for just a second. Can you tell me about Parkinson's and age or um, what, how it relates, I guess, to age and or sex of people? Does it affect one age or sex more? Definitely um, the, the age, the, the kind of average age people get diagnosed typically is in their 60s. Um, however, there are a uh, group of, in the population that are getting diagnosed um, early, early onset Parkinson's. So it's called young onset Parkinson's disease. And um, they, people are getting diagnosed in their, some in their 30s, in their 40s. Um, but typically that middle age about about 60 years old is, is um, you know, we see more of those uh, at that age group in our classes and our programs. Um, and it is neuro, um, neurologic disorders or diseases are definitely a little bit more male dominant. So we do see probably three quarters of our clientele are, um, are males. Interesting. Yeah, actually, even my clients, when I'm thinking back, it's been male dominated for sure. So interesting. Do you have any suggestions for folks that could be watching us today that haven't been diagnosed or are waiting to be diagnosed, but they suspect that they have Parkinson's? I definitely think, um, like I mentioned before, exercise is key. Exercise is the only thing right now that can slow down the progression, that can lessen the symptoms, um, that can sometimes even halt it in its steps. So the faster you can get into an exercise program that is Parkinson's specific, even if you don't have that diagnosis yet, perhaps it's in your family or um, the doctors have brought it up, but they just haven't made that final diagnosis. Getting into a Parkinson's exercise program can show you um, differences, even within the first few weeks uh, of doing the exercises, you can pinpoint yourself whether you're noticing uh, changes for the better. And um, also, again, your support care team too, like your, your family members, your spouse, uh, they can really help as well because sometimes we can kind of block those um, changes, especially when you've been hit with the overwhelm of a possible diagnosis like this. Having some family support to be able to help gauge you through it, especially at the beginning of it, they can help pinpoint whether they're noticing changes um, in your kind of get up and go or your speed of movement, those types of things um, can be shown. And if those do show um, a positive difference, then it's something you can do in the interim while you're waiting to get um, to see a neurologist and, and get a diagnosis. And we were talking over the break a little bit about the cognitive part again. 
And maybe we could share it with our audience as well about um, coming into the actual class and what that does for folks. Could you maybe elaborate? Absolutely. So I've noticed a lot. I mean, we've been uh, considered essential for the last year or so. So luckily for us, we've been able to stay open for the clients that have wanted to come in person. We also have um, a very good online program. So for people that aren't comfortable coming into the gym or that are in rural areas or across Canada, we are able to get them online into live classes so that they can interact with other fighters. Um, we give them time to chat because community is huge and it, it really is important to be able to have and be around other people that are dealing with the same frustrations and stresses and experiencing some of the same symptoms you might be. Um, to have that forum to be able to talk about it to others, but also get support and motivation, you know, especially on the days that you're just, you're not feeling at your best. So I've noticed a big difference in people that have come back to the gym earlier on um, than, than, you know, for those that have waited months or even a year, year and a half now to come back in person, there definitely has been um, um, a regression in some of, um, some of their symptoms for sure. So the sooner you can get back, there is a sense of urgency here that I'd like to get across because the sooner you can get back into your exercise program and be around others is going to help you not just physically, but from a psychosocial aspect as well. Absolutely. And speaking of the urgency, maybe we can talk a little bit more about um, the stages that Parkinson's goes through. Could you explain a little bit more about that? And is there a stage that's you know better to, to start getting into the exercise obviously earlier than um, the earlier the better but can you explain what the stages are absolutely so there are five stages and we work with stage one through to stage four so stage one is mild maybe early diagnosed or perhaps you've had it for a couple of years but the symptoms are still quite mild and they're not interfering with your quality of life but um, getting to stage five that's you know, the more advanced stages of Parkinson's, the more advanced stage of Parkinson's disease. And typically the individual might be unable to walk at that point, or they'll need, um, they need full-time assistance living at home, or they may be in a long-term care facility. Um, now, a lot of our clients, I will say this though, for anyone that's newly diagnosed with Parkinson's, you really can live well alongside Parkinson's especially if you get on top of things, on top of your, um, your exercise and your nutrition. There's a lot of things that can be done so you can maintain a good and strong and healthy lifestyle. Um, you know, progression can be quite slow. If you're diagnosed in your 60s, it tends to be a bit slower. Um, but I mean, I see people who are still quite high functioning and have had the disease for 10 or 15 years. So um, in our classes, we divvy the classes up. So we have stage one, two, which is typically more high intensity, and then stage three, four, um, which is lower, a little lower intensity, lower impact. But we can service um, all of those, all of those stages. It's interesting to know that you to break them up as well, because sometimes when people are early, they don't necessarily want to go into a type of program like this because they feel like everybody's going to be more advanced or if they're more advanced, they feel like everybody's going to be early. Right. And it's the same, yeah. you know, when we're when we're helping folks find memory care floors. Right. It depends on where their cognition is and whether or not 
were too, like they're early in it and whether they would benefit or not from a memory care floor, whether they're more advanced. So it's trying to feel that out, but people are, have concerns about it. So it's good that you can look at both ends of, of the stages, both of the aspects. Um, so I know that you touched on diet a little bit more. I think that, you know, generally speaking, diet is important to all of us and gut health is important to all of us. Perhaps we can talk about that a little bit more when we come back. After the break, Christine and I are also going to continue the uh, conversation about exercise with Parkinson's. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back. I'm joined by my guest, uh, Christine, today from Boxing for Health. Before the break, we are discussing a little bit more about diet and nutrition and gut health. And so let's go and touch on that again. Christine, how important is uh, is your diet, is taking care of your gut health when you're on a journey with Parkinson's? I think gut health is hugely important. Um, constipation, if we jump right into it, is a big um, uh, kind of a side effect to medications once people are taking medications for Parkinson's. But when you are chronically constipated throughout your life, you actually have a 40% increased chance of developing Parkinson's which is huge. That's a huge percentage. Um, so getting on top of that, especially if you have Parkinson's in your family, that's something you want to get on top of right away um, and do what you can to get that sorted out. So you're getting the toxins out of your system. Um, but gut health in general, I really uh, suggest to my clients and encourage them that they switch to what's called an anti-inflammatory diet. So reducing anti-inflammatory foods such as um, red meats. So just doing your best to really limit your intake of red meats. Dairy, which is the hardest one for most people. Um, I, I strongly recommend they remove dairy. Um, it's, a, you know, one of the top uh, inflammatory foods. So I, re, I, I speak to a lot of the uh, a lot of my clients, both in person and online, about these types of things um, because sometimes they really need uh, you to hold their hand, especially getting off dairy for for uh, some of the um, for some of the senior clientele that have been on it their whole life. So it's explaining what it's doing to not just the gut but also the brain. Um, you know, you can't feel inflammation in your brain. So, um, but, but it's there and it's there if you have Parkinson's disease or any kind of other neurological um, disease. So doing what you can to lessen the inflammation in your body can really go a long way. As someone who struggles to stay off of dairy myself, I totally understand what you're saying. It is a steep hill, especially if you love cheese. So yeah. it's a steep hill. Um, and even we, I've been just dabbling, even going uh, lactose free, you know, trying to get it all out. But you know, if it's if it's there, we will lactose free a bit. But it's even more important for folks with Parkinson's for obvious reasons. Um, let's maybe talk a minute about the safety of exercising with Parkinson's. Can you talk a little bit more? You know, is it safe? Is it you know, a, is it more safe in stages one and two than it is three and four? Maybe. I definitely think as the disease progresses, your balance becomes more of an issue. So you can go into um, freezing stages, which causes people to have a, a more increased chance of falling. So in our programs, both in person and online, we do a thorough assessment at the beginning to see where you're at. If you are a fall risk potential, um, where your balance is at. And we try and pick out other uh, strengths and weaknesses or challenges that you're dealing with um, when we first initially see you. 
And then we can help you as you um, work through the program and depending on how often you're doing the exercise, whether again, it's in person or online, if you're getting those the right exercises that you need, because everyone with Parkinson's is someone else with Parkinson's. So meaning everyone is different. So someone may have a tremor, but someone else their issue is uh, slow move, slow and small movements, extremely stiff and rigid, um, or have an issue with their voice. Whereas the next person, you know, is just concerned about their tremors. So really um, um, figuring out and isolating each individual's issues and concerns so that you're able to focus on that in your exercise program. I absolutely believe an exercise program should be safe if it's done properly by experienced and trained instructors that have experience working with the Parkinson's population. Um, we have clients that have canes, walkers, wheelchairs um, that come in um, into our gym or train with us online. So it's all absolutely possible. Uh, it's just working with the right, um, the right instructors and the right Parkinson's program that kind of works for you um, at the level that you're at. And one thought I was just thinking when I was uh, listening to you and then you mentioned wheelchairs is there's a lot of people that don't feel comfortable because of their balance or whatnot standing and doing exercise. Are there exercises that they can do sitting as well in, in boxing for health or boxing with Parkinson's? Absolutely. So we have afternoon classes for uh, people that are a little more, um, whether they're progressed or they've got a bit of cognition um, um, issues arising or their, their balance is, um, you know, if they're, if they're past stage one or two and their balance is a lot more of an issue or they're experiencing falls, all of the stations in our classes are equipped with chairs. So everyone can either sit um, when they need to or be told to sit during different exercises. So you always have that safety option. It's always there for you. Um, if you're in a wheelchair and you're able to weight bear, then our instructors will get you up and walk as much as possible during that class and have you sitting only when when necessary but there's so much you can do sitting like the majority of the class can be done sitting you can march sitting so there's a lot that can be done because we're often dealing with hip and knee replacements on top of parkinson's so um there's lots of modifying that has to go on in any of our classes and our instructors are, are really used to it and they're able to implement different um changes in exercises throughout the exercise throughout the program for for all the different um the different clients that are there i think that's great to know for a comfort level for people that are listening too because as we were talking about again at break is that some people will join in but they you know it depends on the exercise program it depends if they feel like they're going to be comfortable and is there somewhere i can sit down and if i can't do it and if it's too overwhelming people generally just don't do it right so knowing that things have been put in place so that safety is there there are places to sit down and, and rest and all that is terrific what else do our listeners need to know when they're looking to find a great exercise program what should they be looking for you should make sure that um that voice is integrated into the classes because whether your voice is, an, is a concern for you now, it could be in the future. So it's all about being prevent, as preventive, preventative as possible. So making sure that your exercise program integrates um, and includes some ex, uh, voice exercises, um, bre breathing exercises, they kind of go um, one in one with voice exercises because you can't have one without the other. So making sure that that's a priority in the class 
uh, dual tasking is being done, which means you're doing maybe a physical exercise like a squat. So squatting, but um, counting in um, counting from 100 down to zero in increments of three. Or in our in-person classes, we've got math equations. So volunteers are coming around with math equations or they're doing matching cards, um, something fine motor while they're doing an exercise so that we're training the brain to multitask. That's hugely uh, important. And big ambulatory-based movements is the last one. I've got to tell you, I did not expect you to say that. Like, so I didn't expect half of that stuff. So that's amazing. So thank you for uh, just sharing that because I think it's really important, again, that people have an understanding of the whole part of exercising. It's not just physical. Um, so it's terrific. Let's, uh, let's take a minute for another break, Christine. After we take a break, we'll come back and continue speaking about boxing uh, a little bit more specifically. So this is our full aging. We're on Bold Brave TV. We'll see you in a few minutes. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. Let's discuss exercising a bit more in depth and how it relates to Parkinson's. Um, Christina, I know we've been talking about just before the break, the different uh, pieces of exercise for the physical part. Will any kind of exercise do or can you tell us a little bit more about the physical aspect of it? So uh, any kind of exercise won't do, but if you already are familiar and enjoy doing exercise, then that's great because it'll make it a, a little bit easier for you to get into um, a regular exercise program. So like I mentioned, you really want to make sure that there's like the voice integrated, um, the dual tasking amplitude based movements, which means it, most of the movements done in the class are all done in a big exaggerated um, way so that you are working, um, working with your body to stop the like hunched, stooped over posture that can come with the disease as well. But um, making sure that all of those things are in your exercise program are key. And then the most, most important is intensity. Intensity is non-negotiable when it comes to Parkinson-specific exercise programs. So when you are doing an exercise class, so our classes are an hour in length, about 30 to 35 minutes is the high intensity part where we're doing functional based exercises and then we're throwing in that boxing element. Uh, if you're not being challenged, if you're if you're able to carry on a conversation with the person next to you or if you're doing it from home, if you're able to carry on a conversation while exercising, you are not close to being um, at that target heart rate for you need to be at, your target heart rate should be. We really, we try and push to about 80% of your target heart rate for people with Parkinson's as long as they don't have any heart issues alongside their Parkinson's, um, which is a very high percentage to get to, especially for the senior clientele. So having people pushing you and motivating you while you're exercising is really key to getting you to that level, because if you're not exercising at that at that um, at that range, then you're not getting the proper benefits um, to the for the program from the program. Interesting that uh, that uh, intensity part scares me even a little bit because that's that's quite intense, right? So, um, do how long do so you do the sessions for an hour? How right. long can someone do it to be beneficial? Like, is an hour what people need or? Is it workable? Like people that are, I'm just thinking of myself as well, people that are newer to exercise or come in and out of exercise, like most of us do, um, you know, getting to that intensity an hour of class when you jump feet first is a little bit terrifying. So, you know, how, how can we best start that? 
So we typically, it depends. So if someone's coming to us and they're like um, exercise phobic and they just are not someone that, that enjoys exercise or has, you know, hasn't been a big part of their life, then we kind of ease them in a little bit slower. Typically people are, are starting at least twice, if not three times a week. But then they shift. Once they start doing that, even after a few weeks, they notice, oh, wow, I'm actually feeling a lot better. My symptoms are better. So they start coming more. But we have a lot of clients that come four to five times a week. Uh, one big research study that was done said that um, the more the better when it comes to Parkinson's. So six days a week was actually, um, you know, where uh, clients saw the most amount of uh, positive changes when working out. So an hour is best if you can do 90 minutes. Some classes and programs can implement a 90 minute window. And that's really good as well. We have just in the past find that an hour to an hour in 15 is what works best for um, for our clientele. That's pretty wild. Like for me, like thinking about how long that is in the gym and, and, and once that time, I mean, it scares me myself. So, you know, that's a lot. But the no. thing is, is if they, they see the benefit within a short amount of time that builds momentum and then it's easier to do, right? It's just like, you know, if you were going to the gym, you know, regularly. Too. There's a definite yeah. um, accountability factor. If someone doesn't show up to class, the other students are asking, you know, where is such and such? We should reach out to them. And, you know, it's, it's a tight knit community, both in person and online. So I think that that really helps as well when people are expecting you to, in class and, um, you know, they meet up early in class, like sometimes a half an hour before class starts. There's a group of them meeting um, in the parking lot, like just to catch up. So uh, that would I would be very helpful. Yeah, it's, it's like a giant buddy group, like a buddy program, you know, yes, exactly. going to the gym that that would be super helpful. Um, can you tell me why specifically boxing works so well? So boxing, actually, um, ESPN rated boxing as like the top, top highest intensity sport that there is. And I, I did do some um, amateur uh, kickboxing, Muay Thai boxing um, before I had children and the, the intensity was the most um, I've ever received from a sport and I was quite athletic growing up so I played all the sports but boxing all, would, would all take the rain every day like um, the, the types of exercises that you're doing you're challenging your body outside of its limits on a regular daily basis. So um, when you're incorporating boxing into our program, it's the intensity, but also, again, so many stages can do it, so many levels of mobility. So someone sitting in a wheelchair at a retirement home can still do the boxing element. And if someone is uh, newly diagnosed, they can, we can teach them to do a little bit more and maybe they're doing footwork and getting that dual tasking in as long as well as doing the boxing. So you can really play around with the, with boxing techniques and make them super challenging or, um, you know, more beginner. So the variety is there. And again, you can up, um, you can raise and lower the level of intensity as well throughout the, throughout the class as you learn more about boxing. But it's also fun. I mean, you let you let loose when I it's such an energy release. Um, I love hitting pads when I can with someone or hitting a bag. And I think that that's what my students would say, too. You know, like they'll yell out some frustrating words sometimes or emotions, especially for people that have been sitting with their diagnosis for for a, a little while or even a couple of months. Um, it's therapeutic to come to the gym and just 
let everything go um, on a bag, leave it all out there and leave it all in the gym so that when you leave, you're just feeling that much lighter, um, you know, from your stress and frustrations of dealing with this disease. I would say from my limited exposure to boxing and kickboxing, I've always been a big fan of kickboxing. By no means am I <laughs> in that world, but it, it's one of the preferred exercises I like to do. And kind of what you're saying, too, is a, is a stress relief for even when I go in, right, you, you just punch something, <laughs> right? And for them as well, because it must be so frustrating. People with lots of different ailments, diseases, different functions uh, all have our different frustrations right and just to be able to release that somewhere and not keep it inside and hold on to it I think would be super beneficial so after the break we're going to be discussing support you've been watching Artful Aging with Amy we're live on Bold Brave TV and we will see you just in a few minutes Hello again and welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy and we've been discussing boxing and Parkinson's with Christine um, and we're going to discuss support here um, for the Parkinson's journey so Christine can you tell me and tell our audience how important it is to have the support team while you're on the Parkinson's journey I know that you touched on a little bit but maybe we could um, put it all together for people so absolutely a support care team is is essential it, it's really key to living well with Parkinson's so a, a support care team needs to be not just your immediate family and your spouse because they also need to reach out and have a support care team for themselves quite honestly um, it's helpful as the disease progresses and to just learn and educate yourself more about the disease and what's maybe to come um, and how to work through all of that from both the person with parkinson's as well as the the spouse or the caregiver um, in your life so Family is definitely key, but reaching out to experienced professionals. So I'm really big on manual work. I think that everyone with Parkinson's should try their best to get in regular massages. Um, they should link up with a physiotherapist that specializes in Parkinson's, even if it's just a touch base every couple of months. Um, but at least you're in with someone that understands the disease and that can pick things out for you. Maybe they notice some yellow flags before you do with your movement pattern that they can help you address um, so that it can stay where it is for as long as for as long as possible. Um, and, and getting a neurologist is key. So if that's hard, reach out because there's a bunch of different options and, and different routes. Getting into a support care uh, support care group is really important. Uh, we have a student ran one in Boxing for Health, so one of the students um, has has taken that over, and they meet once a month. And throughout the last two years, they've been meeting through Zoom. Um, and hopefully, in the next couple of months, we can start that back in person. But support is huge. I mean, being with others that have Parkinson's. Um, the sooner the better because you link arms and people you you find good friends in in others and other fighters and they can really help push you on days that you're you know down in the dumps or just need that extra push to maybe get to that exercise class uh, for caregivers i know that we talked about you know them noticing different things changing is there anything else a caregiver can do to support not only um, that the person who has Parkinson's, but also the caregiver themselves. When, in one of our other shows, we were talking about how a lot of times 
there's caregiver support, but it's combined with the with the person. So if it's dementia or Parkinson's, it's always the person with Parkinson's and um, and the caregiver. Is there anything for just caregivers? And is there anything that they can do to support themselves and their loved one? There's definitely some support groups out there. Um, and I, I think it's important that they become uh, not just work alongside their partner, which is important too, but find a support group for just the caregiver, for just the spouse. Because I don't even love the word caregiver as much as that's what you become as a spouse with someone with a chronic disease, but it's um, you need to take care of yourself too. And you know, in our program, we invite spouses along and we have a lot of spouses that train and join the program as well because they want to stay fit and they motivate each other to get to the class. So that's huge because you want to stay strong and healthy um, for your partner with Parkinson's, but also that person with Parkinson's needs to stay strong and healthy too. So working together is, is huge, but finding different uh, outlets that you can do just on your on your own, um, you know, to, to really fuel that self-care and take care of yourself and have places to reach out um, is really important. So there's there's support groups online and in person um, for those um, for spouses. I know that I think yeah. I think many people who are the caregiver for someone who has anything really, um, they feel like the support groups are to support that person, but the support groups are also to support them. Absolutely. And, you know, as a caregiver, you may want to talk about feelings or, or uh, heartaches or things like that, mm-hmm. that is about the person you're caring about. So you don't want to just, you know, say, oh, this, this time this person was, you know, it was su- super difficult and whatnot, because you don't want them to hear it because it's not intended for bashing anything or anything. It's just to get it out. Right. And so that's why it's extra important to have something of your own to go towards, I think. Um, Before we finish up today, Christine, could you tell us a little bit more? There's other programs that you offer at your gym. Uh, Could you let us know a little bit more about those? So absolutely. So we do specialize in working with Parkinson's, but we also uh, invite seniors to come to our classes. We've got um, a lot of seniors that are involved in our classes because a lot of the symptoms that come along with Parkinson's are actually aging-related Uh, symptoms as well. So stoop posture, issues with your posture, your balance, uh, becoming more of a fall risk as you as you age. So a lot of those things are implemented in the in the classes that really help um, seniors become that much more independent and empowered and stronger. And we also a few months ago started a um, an awesome women's only class on Wednesday evening. So we offer it virtually online, as well as in person um, at the gym. And that's just for uh, just for for any women at any age, really, that can come and join us. So we have our Parkinson specific classes, we run about 16 classes a week at our main location. And then we have a West End location in Canada and an East End location off Montreal Road. And again, a really successful online program. So, you know, there's no excuse not to exercise when you have Parkinson's. We've kind of made all of these options available. Um, But now that we've added this women's class, it's just uh, an extra place for people, even family members of those with Parkinson's or spouses, like I mentioned, to come and let loose and let those frustrations and stress out, especially from, you know, being boxed in the last two years. For sure. And I love the the fact of the online versions because again we're talking a break and, and I'm a little ways away from your gym but it would be nice to be able to join in um, to some of the sessions and 
that's one thing that's come out of COVID is this video atmosphere of everything. And there's a lot of things online. And so, you know, for our folks that are watching, if you want to join anything, it would be worth a, a search online just to see if it's virtual because a lot of things are virtual and things that you wouldn't even think about are virtual. So it's yeah. nice to have that as an aspect. Well, Chris, well, Christine, we've come to the end of our time together. I want to thank you so much for coming and speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the, the platform and, and hopefully we can, we're helping, um, you know, get this out to more people and letting people know that there are things you can do. Um, you just got to make the right step forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. For more information on Christine and Boxing for Health, head on over to artfulagingwithamy.com for all of the links. After the break, we are going to be discussing my top tips from today's conversation. Make sure to grab a cup of tea. We're not done yet, and I'll see you back in a couple of Welcome back. I hope that you have found today's show as informative and helpful as I have. There's definitely a lot of things that Christine said that I didn't even realize, and especially with the exercise and bringing all the mental and physical together, uh, very, very interesting. I know that we'll be sharing this a lot with our tea and toast crowd. Um, because we do work with a lot of people who have Parkinson's um, and have Parkinson's with um, cognitive impairment as well. So I know that they'll find that helpful as well. Uh, without further ado, these are my top tips from today. So number one would be to be proactive and keep your quality of life in a good state. I feel, again, that this is uh, good advice for all of us, but especially for folks who are dealing with Parkinson's, you want to try to get things moving sooner rather than later so that your disease doesn't progress to a spot where you can't get started. So don't wait for things to change with your disease. Do something right now, even as Christine was saying, even if it's, you know, preemptive and you think that you might have a diagnosis coming or it runs in your family, do something now so that it doesn't uh, boil over later. Tip two would be to exercise rarely, or rarely, uh, regularly. Rarely is what I do. Regularly is what you should do. All of us should be exercising regularly for our general health. It's generally, again, another good life tip. So I know many of us should be doing it a lot more. Carve out some time in your schedule and just do it. So whether it's on uh, video or in person, there are so many things available to us now. Again, especially since we've all went through COVID together, a lot of things are online. So just do a quick search. If you can't get out, bring it into your home. And also have other family members you know, work with you at it. So if it's a workout program you can do in your home, maybe you do it with your partner, maybe you do it with your kid. Just make sure that there's that uh, sense of support network around you is usually really helpful. Just like what Christine was saying as well, when they go into the gym, there's a lot of people there that, you know, support each other because they know what each other are going through. And that I find that really, really important. Number three, would be to expand your support. So ask for help and better yet, tell people you need help if you do. People aren't mind readers, so remember that. And sometimes you just need to tell people you need something for them to take action. Don't wait for someone to do something and then be disappointed if they don't. Um, be proactive in your own care and, and make sure just to expand your support group. Like Christine was saying, again, expand it to massage therapists and physiotherapists and all sorts of different people that would be able to might, and might be able to recognize things that you don't see yourself that you can address before it gets worse. 
On next week's show, we'll be talking with Brooke, a speech language pathologist with the American Speech Language and Hearing Association, all about aphasia. Remember, for more information on today's show, as well as the upcoming and past guests, please join me over at artfulagingwithamy.com. There you'll find all the links to all of our shows. You'll find our podcast links as well. And you'll also find links to free resources um, if you happen to be looking in retirement living, is, which is what I do uh, in my day job. So thanks so much for joining us again today on Artful Aging. Again, we're live on Bull Brave TV. From me to you, I hope that you have a wonderful Wednesday. You've been listening to Artful Aging with host Amy. Many folks just like you feel they're alone in their journey in helping a loved one or caregiver. So tune in each week and let Amy show you that help is around the corner and is just one conversation away here on Artful Aging.